a dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. Telling a woman that she can't be an elder is a nonsense rule. If they claim to be in the body, we let them have fun. Donald Trump is going to win in 2020 by an absolute landslide. You know who they are. I need you to be my apostles. I need you to go out and talk about it and say we owe this to each other. Sawing is a blessing from God to make you rich. Being well, is like a lottery ticket. The Lord spoke to my heart. Then very few times I've ever heard God be this articulate with me. And I'm telling you word for word, these words came into my heart. I'm not asking you to anything. I'm asking you to brush his hair. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Master's Dog episode, I think, 121. I forgot. Um, I'm your host, Norm, the Master's Dog Dunham, a.k.a. The Evangelical Norm. I'm going to find an episode number for you um, here sooner or later. Maybe not. Who cares? Um, it's an episode. We're in the 120s, and we are guys from Unsolicited. So... This podcast, The Master's Dog, it started out as a podcast called Faith and Beliefs Refuted. Uh, our friends over at the podcast called Saints Unscripted used to be three Mormons. Uh, they started a, a segment of their podcast called Faith and Beliefs. And they were explaining the LDS Articles of Faith. And I saw that and I said, I want to respond to those. So I made a commitment. I'm going to respond to all of the videos that they make here. I thought they were going to stop after the 13 articles of faith, but they didn't. They kept going on with episodes about some that are actually have some meat to it. Some that are just pointless. And I'm like, why am I responding to this? Because I made a commitment. There have been a couple where uh, rather than actually responding to the entire video, I just threw up a screenshot of the, the title and said, this was dumb. This was what it was. Let it go. Uh, so, but I've continued on. And then, Somewhere in the last year and a half, two years, I said, you know what? I don't want to deal just with the Mormon stuff. There are other uh, false teachers going on out here. So I took the quote that you heard at the beginning of the introduction uh, from John Calvin. Uh, Dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet remain silent and became the master's dog. That's what I do. I am here to bark when God's truth is attacked. So... Today, we are back with uh, the guys over at Saints Unscripted. This is another one of those videos where I went, you know what? It's almost meaningless to actually respond to this because there's a very simple response. But because uh, people like content, <laughs> I will actually watch the video and we'll talk about it uh, like I usually do as he goes. So I'm going to let this play. David's going to do his thing and... As usual, I will stop and pause at different points uh, where I feel like I need to interject, and we'll just go from there. So, excuse me, don't drink Diet Dr. Pepper immediately before doing a podcast, word to the wise. Uh, so, here we go. This is our friend David, Saints Unscripted. Uh, how long did it take Joseph Smith to translate the Book of Mormon? And we have no sound. I'm muted. We there have we done a ton of episodes about the Book of Mormon. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. If you haven't noticed yet, 
we have done a ton of episodes about the Book of Mormon. Why? Because it is the keystone of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Most all other Latter-day Saint truth claims stand and it's up to each individual to decide whether they believe it is ancient scripture or a modern hoax. There's a lot writing on that question, so I've just been flooding. It's a modern hoax. Sorry, I had a little technical difficulty on the sound there, but I think I got it worked out. Um, again, yes, he is just flooding with a bunch of stuff, and it literally is just like a fire hose worth of, of things. But if you stop and you slow down and you just go, okay... There's reasonable answers to some of these things, which we'll talk about today. Um, it's not so much, but. ...you with all sorts of information about the Book of Mormon that may or may not help inform your decision. Today, we're going to be taking a closer look about... A closer look at what the historic record tells us about the chronology of the translation of the Book of Mormon. It's nice to know that I'm not the only one that gets tongue-tied while I'm doing this. Usually they edit those out. I do my podcast one shot. I don't edit. I don't uh, cut anything up. I don't. Sometimes I'll go back and redo. If it's really bad, I will redo an episode. But I don't edit. I'm a, I'm a beginning to end. One shot. Record it. Here we go. These guys have got editors and all kinds of stuff. It's interesting that they kind of left the blooper in there. But again, they will do stuff like that. In order to, they'll throw, they'll put in ridiculous video clips like you saw, stuff like that. And what it does is it's it's literally a psychological uh, attack, I guess is a, a, a term. It's a psychological tactic to lighten the weight of what it is. It, it's almost to make it seem ridiculous. I wouldn't say it's it's te it's technically a reductio ad absurdum. It's not reducing it to the most absurd, but it it makes it seem silly enough that it doesn't seem like it's that weighty when some of this stuff does carry a lot of weight as far as theology, true doctrine, and ultimately salvation. Let's do it. All right, so the translation of the Book of Mormon began on about April 12th, 1828. Joseph Smith dictated the words and Martin Harris wrote them down as Joseph's main scribe at the time. There were other scribes who helped out early on, but we're not exactly sure when, how much, or which parts they wrote. We do know, though, that on June 14, 1828, Martin Harris was allowed to take the existing manuscript home to show some family members, and he ended up losing everything they'd written thus far. So, as of mid-June 1828, they've got diddly squat. Between June 1828, when the manuscript was lost, and April 1829... Okay, so now, again, we always hear about these 116 pages, and the LDS people just kind of blow them off. And last week's episode that they did kind of talked about uh, an around-the-way apologetic... Uh, what's the word I'm, I'm trying to... to acrobatic uh, acrobatic attempt to um, dismiss the fact that the the uh, 116 pages were lost so they're like well that was really just translated this but that same stuff was also in these plates in this other place and so it really didn't lose anything but Joseph Smith made a claim about this book that it was the most correct book of any book and a man could get closer to God by his precepts than any other book. But it's missing stuff. 
you know, when he says it contains the fullness of the everlasting gospel, well, it's the fullness of the everlasting gospel minus 116 pages. Oh, well, that was just an abridged version of this or whatever. Well, why was it all put together and why was Joseph told to translate all of it if some of it didn't even really matter? It's a question that you, as an LDS person or an investigator into that, or as a Christian who wants to um, engage in debate with the Mormons, it's a question that has to be answered. Why was it there to begin with? Was it just God going messing with him? Oh, well, you know, it's, it's okay. It's, it's really an important point, but they will dismiss it as if those 116 pages really didn't mean anything. Very little translation occurred, probably just a handful of pages at the beginning of 1829. After the loss of the pages due to Joseph's carelessness, his gift of translation was revoked for a time. Eventually, that gift was restored, but the translation didn't really pick up again until April of 1829 when Oliver Cowdery showed up to help. Oliver met Joseph Smith in person for the first time on April 5, 1829, and began working as Joseph's scribe two days later on April 7th. The scholarly consensus is that the translation continued in April 1829 where it had left off, after the book of Lehi, at the beginning of the book of Mosiah. Once Mosiah through Moroni and the title page were translated, Joseph translated the small plates of Nephi portion of the Book of Mormon record, first Nephi through Words of Mormon, which covered events from the same time period as the lost book of Lehi. And if that's news to you, we talk more about that in this episode. Because we don't know exactly how many pages were translated before... Just to, to reiterate, it's an excuse. It, we'll get there. We'll, we'll talk more about that here in, at the end of the video. Oh, well, we didn't need those 116 pages because we actually had it all in this other and it covered the same stuff and blah, blah, blah. So why did it exist to begin with? Oliver's arrival, we don't know exactly where in Mosiah that Joseph and Oliver began on April 7th. One Latter-day Saint source estimated they began in Mosiah 2, while author Don Bradley points out that one critical non-Latter-day Saint source estimated Mosiah 7. Thus, in any case, both sides of the aisle seem to agree that it was towards the beginning of Mosiah. Joseph and Oliver reported that by the next month, on May 15th, the translation had progressed through about the middle of 3rd Nephi. From copyright records, we know that the title page of the Book of Mormon was translated at the latest by June 11th, though it was probably done closer to the end of May. At the beginning of June 1829, Joseph moved the translation effort from Harmony, Pennsylvania to the Whitmer home in Fayette, New York. There, the translation project would conclude with the translation of 1st Nephi through Words of Mormon. Some of the Whitmers reportedly helped with the scribal work there. And sure enough, John Whitmer's handwriting shows up in the original manuscript of 1st Nephi. The translation was complete by June 30th, 1829. So, the entire Book of Mormon, with the exception of potentially the first few chapters of Mosiah, was written between April 7th and June 30th, 1829. That's a total of 85 days. But we know that Joseph wasn't able to translate all day every day. He spent multiple days moving to Fayette. He took a trip to Colesville and Manchester. He was recording other revelations, meeting with visitors, and contacting publishers. There were times when translation couldn't happen. Accounting for these kinds of activities, John Welch concluded that within that total 85-day time span, the translation was probably completed within 57 to 63 full-time working days. Wow! I'm not a published author or mathematician. 
but that seems like not a ton of time to write a pretty long book. Now, of course, while the speed of this dictation does fit well within Joseph Smith's claim that the Book of Mormon was translated by the gift and power of God, it does not prove that the Book of Mormon is true. That said, it is information that should be taken into account as you decide what to make of this book. How did Joseph Smith, a 23-year-old kid with no previous novel writing experience, look at a rock in a hat and dictate this rather lengthy book filled with literary and spiritual richness and complexity in only 63 working days, with no notes or reference materials available to him, and without making any significant rewrites or revisions? There's no evidence to Let's just deal with this a little bit. He's going to make a statement here in a minute, but um, again, I don't know how long it takes. I, I just was, if you, I was looking up the average time it takes to, to write a novel and it says uh, most authors is 180 days or six months, more or less. Usually it takes authors anywhere from four to eight months to complete a book. Um, however, you can definitely write a book faster than that. Um, so on and so forth. So I don't, again, I don't know, but here, here's the thing to have prior book writing experience is it not really necessary i could probably write a book because i can tell a story and joseph didn't write the book he dictated it so again he's not doing what most writers do he's not writing going back changing well you know here once it's out of his mouth it's done it's done and it's written so it's a storytelling thing. I can tell a story pretty fast. My wife is amazing at making up stories to tell my daughter and stuff like that. And from his history, from what people have said, his mother and other people through books and so on, he was a prolific storyteller. Not always on, on you know, consistent as we see with the fact that there are nine different uh versions of the first vision that he had so again storytelling at its finest but kind of goofed up so but here this is there and written down so we're gonna we're gonna deal with some things i want to let him make this next statement and then i want to talk about that for a second too and incorporate it into what i was just saying so let, we'll let the video go on suggesting that Joseph had a secret pre-written manuscript. But even if we entertain the idea, it leads to several problematic questions, including, but not limited to, how did he dictate it to Oliver Cowdery with his face in a hat? The evidence does not suggest that Joseph had a photographic or eidetic memory. It okay. Evidence doesn't show that he didn't have a photographic or eidetic memory. I would... Pro I would proposed to you that he did have this kind well and again i i kind of contradict myself in the fact that he couldn't get keep his first vision straight but a lot of what is in put in the the book of mormon is bible word for word so joseph obviously was able to memorize scripture um, younger kids are, are very good at, at memorizing scripture. We know his family was always going from church to church. We know he read his, his Bible because he obviously read James where it told him to go out and pray or, you know, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, right? So he, that's why he went to the grove to pray.
I would propose that Joseph had a very good memory. But the thing is, is he doesn't have to have, he's making the story up as he goes along. He doesn't have to have it written out and prepped. He just has to be able to check what he has said and kind of keep things ready for what he's going to say the next day. Written down, he could go back and read everything that he's already said and make preparations for what's going on. Facing a half up as he goes. And that's where I stand. It is storytelling at its finest. It is plagiarism at an amazing level, which they will completely ignore that as well. I mean, he plagiarized the King James Version even in errors. So where King James, his translators made mistakes in the translation, Joseph Smith plagiarized him true scripture from a rock on a hat, those things would have to be removed. Or Lehi, Nephi, or whoever had written down these sections of Isaiah would have had to have King James mistaken versions to put into Reformed Egyptian so Joseph Smith could translate them into English with the same translation errors. See where the problem lies? Joseph Smith did have a good memory. He wasn't a local yokel. He wasn't an uneducated man. He didn't have a formal education, but he was a smart. Other things that he has written and said and so on. So that's where the speed makes no difference because I can tell an amazing story and dictate it to somebody and have a book that it comes out far faster than if I'm sitting down and writing it myself. Make sense? It does not suggest that Joseph was a skilled magician. The evidence does not indicate that Oliver Cowdery or anyone in Joseph's family was a co-conspirator. The intricate weaving of multiple cohesive plot lines, timelines, allusions, and literary techniques in the Book of Mormon suggests that this was not something Joseph just came up with on the spot. Now, you can believe whatever you want. And again, as we talked about in this video, I can't prove to you that the Book of Mormon is true. That's between you and God. And surely believing that the Book of Mormon is ancient scripture is not a popular thing to believe. And if it's true, it may mean that you need to make a few life changes, which can be hard. But I hope that from all of these videos we've done on the Book of Mormon, you get the sense that it deserves to be taken seriously. Serious? Either it is one of the most elaborate and impactful hoaxes of all time. And that's where I stand. Or it is the real deal. I wish you all the Again, we come popped up there, and now he's just gonna he's gonna cut out of the video, so we're gonna we're we're done with him. Um, that last picture that he just popped up there of the of um, Mormon or Moroni or whoever praying over the plates, um, where are the plates? History tells us that supposedly the angel took them away with him to heaven. Very convenient that nobody has actually, none of the translators saw the plates. The, the witnesses saw them by the eye of faith. Um, the, they were always covered up. They were not, sometimes not even in the room. And now they're completely gone. 
There's absolutely no way that any of this can be corroborated except for that you sincerely pray about it and the Holy Spirit will manifest by the burning in your bosom and now they go, well, there are other ways that you can do it now. But when I was a kid growing up as a Mormon, it was always the burning in the bosom. Always the burning in the bosom. Your feelings will tell you if it is true or not. And the Bible tells us and makes it very clear, the heart of man is deceitful among all th- above all things. You cannot trust your feelings when the evidence is stacked against it. It's faith to believe in something that you cannot prove. But it is stupidity to believe in something that has been proven to be false over and over and over again. No, they can't prove the Book of Mormon is true, but it can be proven to be false, and it has been. Through showing of the plagiarism, showing of anachronisms, showing of of things that just didn't exist in the Americas at the time that the Book of Mormon was supposedly written here. All of those things, the fact that the Book of Mormon is absolutely false, and it is ridiculous to believe in that just because you prayed a prayer and you got a little... I can reproduce that in a moment just by willing it. And that's the bottom line. Not true. And my friend, if you are a member of the LDS Church or you are investigating it, my advice to you is run. Get out. Find a Bible-believing, theologically sound Christian church and get plugged in and read the Bible. Read it and see who it says Jesus is, who it says that God the Father is in relation to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. That there's not a eternal regret. There is one God. Before him there has been none, and after him there will not be one formed at all, ever. And the Book of Mormon is not Scripture. Neither is the Pearl of Great Price or the Doctrine and Covenants. Run, get away from it as quickly as you can. Repent and put your faith in Jesus, the true Jesus of the Bible, who went to the cross to pay the penalty for your death so that you could be saved by all of his works and none of your own. No needed temple ceremonies or endowments or any of these things are needed to to achieve any kind of salvation. You cannot do it on your own. You are not saved by grace after all you can do, but you 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 can be saved by grace in spite of all you have done. And my Christian friend, if you're watching this, as always, preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. Until next week, Soli Deo Gloria. Mm-hmm.